It's our WWE Extreme Rules 2019 review show on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. I have to tell you, once again, I am two for two when it comes to low expectations of a pay-per-view and absolutely being blown away from a pay-per-view. The Double Turn Wrestling Podcast coming at you. Boss Ross and the J-Man here to review Extreme Rules 2019 from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or as the J-Man would call it, the Delph, or as many other people would call it, the Illadelph. Or just, or, or just Philly. Or just Philly or whatever you want to call it. This was a pay-per-view in which a very hyped crowd, I think everybody knew was going to be because Philadelphia is one of those crowds that really gets into their wrestling. Yeah, that's a big wrestling city. It's one of the smart cities sometimes, but tonight they behaved well. They had a lot to cheer about. Sure did. Uh, and and I will tell you as we go through this pay-per-view, because we do have a lot to talk about from what was added, what started the show, and how the show ended this show very much reminded me of Stomping Grounds in a very positive way. I say that as we get through because of how it started, how it ended, and how the middle of the show was. And again, as we go through this, you're going to be very surprised at the fact that if you were waiting to see what this pay-per-view was going to bring, I think you will be impressed. So, on this card, ended up being, count them, 13 matches. That is including the two pre-show matches, which we did not know one of them was going to happen. Now, I will tell you that there were two matches that were added today Mm -hmm. that will not count against us in the scoring. Plus, J-Man and I picked every match the same, so I'm going to retain my one-point lead in the standings for our picks. However, I will tell you, Top to bottom, this was a damn good pay-per-view. It really was, though. And I said this before because we did our mid-season review show, and I told you that some of the things we're going to pick at the midway point mm-hmm. may not last even a month. And I got to tell you something. There were some matches on this pay-per-view that may be in our end-of-the-year awards. Because <sighs> let me tell you, as I'm going through and reading the top to bottom here, My goodness, was there good wrestling on this show. (laughs) And again, I went into this pay-per-view and I told the listener, I told you sitting right where you are every week and on pay-per-view weeks twice a week, I told you I have zero expectations for this pay-per-view. You did. Because this pay-per-view looked like the show that everybody was just waiting to be over so that we could go on the road to SummerSlam because it's their big show. It's It's their WrestleMania summer show. That's what it is. That's what they're booking it as. So I figured, okay, it's July. There's not a lot of stipulation matches. There's probably going to be some matches that are going to be underwhelming. And I'm going to just see this as a pay-per-view that went, eh. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) So wrong. Like, horrendously wrong. But you know what? Surprisingly. It's surprisingly wrong. But I'm okay okay with that. Yeah, no, this was... I don't want to mince my words, Ross. I'm just going to flat out say it. This was a great pay-per-view. Um, 
this to me this was better than Stomping Grounds. That's a positive, by the way, because again, I liked Stomping Grounds very, very much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to okay. I'm just going to say it right now, Ross. This is probably one of the top three main show pay per views of the year. Well, if I'm going off the list I had, it would be one of the best three pay-per-views of the yeah. year. No, you had the Royal Rumble as your best show. I, I had did. the Royal Rumble as my second best show. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put it as probably the second best. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll rewrap my brain around things and whatnot. I might go ahead and come around and get rid of the personal attachment that I have to the Royal Rumble and just say Extreme Rules might be the best pay-per-view of the year so far. It, this was that's re- high praise. It, is, it was so good, and I said it from the very beginning, from the very beginning, because you and I watched just a little bit later. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we did not get a chance to see the first match on the preview show, which we'll go ahead and discuss here in a second. Uh, but we did watch from the cruiserweight title on, and from the cruiserweight title, we were like, okay, that's a good start. And then the match that opened the show, well, we had a lot of fun watching, and then from there on out, there wasn't a lot to complain about. No, and like I said before, uh, as we get started with the matches, I mean, if you're telling me that there there are certain matches on this show that I will consider the worst matches on the show. There's one sh- one match for sure that I will go ahead and say was definitely the worst match on the show. Now, there was another match that only went 17 seconds. Mm-hmm. If we're considering that the worst match on the show, it was, again, storyline and set up a promo afterwards, so I almost don't count it. Right, and the crowd was very hyped for how it all happened. But again, as I said at Stomping Grounds, in the tag team match between Brian and Rowan and Heavy Machinery, I didn't particularly like the match because the crowd basically gave up on the whole babyface heel thing. If you're telling me that was the worst part of that pay-per-view, that was a really good pay-per-view. Yeah. So again, we had a match in the middle of the show that I went, if that's the worst match on the show, this is going to be a really good pay-per-view. And it turned out this is going to end up being a really good pay-per-view. Now, Roswell, before we go ahead and go deep into our review, um, if it's okay with you as executive producer of this show, I'm sorry, creative director of the show, I forgot that that's my position, my bad. I'm so tired. (laughs) 2.30 in the morning, guys. Bear with me. Um, Will you allow me two minutes worth of savagery? Uh, is this due to the end of the pay-per-view or? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, then tentatively, yes. Okay. Go ahead. A couple, a couple, a few weeks ago, you and I did a show and, uh, you told me not to let the things that certain other journalists get to me because it's my own opinion and it's what I love not having to do with what anybody else thinks, correct? I am a very big proponent of not letting other people's opinions of either you or your opinions sway you from your opinions. That is correct. Which, again, I've been guilty of before of other people's opinions or what they think affecting what I do or think. Exactly. It's hard, it takes time, and it's and, it, and it's part of being an adult. Mm-hmm. So please continue about your hatred for one person that I will not mention on this show. Actually, I'm not about to go on. I'm not about to go off on that person. That person can go ahead and just move over to the side, unless they go ahead and piss me off with their ratings later this week. We'll go ahead and leave that for Thursday. Right now, I've got a problem with a certain website that's earned that's owned by Turner Sports, and I'm not going to mention the journalist's name because I'm sure he does a fine job, and obviously he's been hired to go ahead and do. The job in the WWE section of this website for a particular reason. And this is also a PG-13 podcast. Not a PG, but PG-13. We can't go and rated R because we get in trouble. But wherever this person went to school, it's, it's, they got a fake degree. 
They got a fake degree, and they don't know a lot about wrestling. I'm not claiming to be the greatest professional wrestling mind. No, that belongs to a couple of people all over the world. Vincent Kennedy McMahon is one of them. Paul Heyman is another. Eric Bischoff is another. And a couple of other people. Jim Ross. There you go. Those are the four best wrestling minds anywhere in the world currently. <sighs> Eric Beeston from Bleacher Report. I thought you said you weren't going to say that. I said name. savagery. Kiss my ass. You do not know tag team wrestling. You do not know one-on-one professional wrestling matches. And you need to go ahead and sit down in a corner in your office, if you have one, at the Bleacher Report headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. And you need to go ahead and just think about everything that you posted on the Bleacher Report grades, results, and highlights article. Think about it for a second. Then come talk to me. You can reach me on Instagram, the one and only JMan19. You can reach me on the Double Turn Podcast because I run that crap. Or you can go ahead and reach out to my boy Ross at Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. Which, by the way, he put up a lot of great Twitter stuff today. My boy, killing the game over there with Twitter. So come holler at me because you, sir, are an ignoramus. And I will never, ever, ever claim that you know your professional wrestling stuff ever again for what you have posted this evening. Carry on, Ross. I'm going to put a disclaimer. That is the opinion of uh, one uh, J-Man. And, that is the uh, opinion of the, Jorge Aquino. Yes. Damn not, right it is. And not of uh, the full extent of uh, Double Turn Ross podcast. or the Double Turn Podcast. It's perfectly fine. Do you feel okay. better, by the way? You're damn right I do. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm done. He said he wasn't going to, and then he just did. So that's what happens. All right. This is the 2019 Extreme Rules Review Show. There were two matches that were added to this card. One of them happened on the pre-show, and one happened four hours later. Finn Balor defended his intercontinental title against Shinsuke Nakamura. I was apparently made aware that he wrestled Finn Balor, like, overseas or something. Uh, No. uh, And then he wrestled him on SmackDown. Shinsuke Nakamura wrestled Seth Rollins for the Universal title when they were in Japan a couple of weeks ago and during their Tokyo tour. Um, And so apparently their matches were fire over there, which doesn't surprise me at all because you've got Seth Rollins, who's one of the best wrestlers in the world, and Shinsuke Nakamura, when you put him with somebody of a certain style like Seth Rollins, he's probably going to flourish nine times out of ten. Okay. Um, So I think that that opened up a lot of eyes once again backstage to maybe Vince and to some of the producers and things of that nature saying, hey, you know what? We haven't done a lot with Shinsuke. Let's go ahead and do something with him. And then when you put him in the ring with Finn Balor, who these two have very, very good chemistry and have history, not only in WWE, not only in NXT, but all the way going to New Japan, you can only imagine what they can do in the ring when you give them time and when you go ahead and put something on the line, like an Intercontinental Championship, perhaps. So anyways, they had a match on Tuesday Night SmackDown this past week. It was a non-title match. And Shinsuke beat Finn Balor clean. So apparently, based off of that decision, he got an Intercontinental Championship opportunity um, at the pre-show at Extreme Rules in Philadelphia tonight. So, full disclaimer... I missed this I missed this match. Both of us did. So, that being said, it went 7 minutes and 40 seconds. And much to my surprise, 
your new intercontinental champion of a guy they've literally not wrestled on or they've not had wrestle pretty much since WrestleMania until last week when I had completely forgotten that he wrestled on SmackDown. Your new intercontinental champion is Shinsuke Nakamura. Congrats. Like, I don't really know what to think because you basically told me that this guy was main event material. You had him win a Royal Rumble. You had him lose to AJ Styles, not once, not twice, but three times. Then you stuck him in a tag team with Rusev. He had a very forgettable U.S. title reign. Thank you. Very forgettable U.S. title reign, in which I'm pretty sure I said he wrestled in pajamas every night. Which, by the way, there was another tag team that wrestled in pajamas or lounge pants tonight. I'll get to them in a second. They run a jail. That's all you need to know. So, okay, like Shinsuke Nakamura is wearing the white belt. Like, are they going to do something with him? Is he going to cut promos? Is he going to wrestle every week? Are we going to maybe put him at a certain level again? Like, I thought he was leaving. Apparently, maybe he's staying. I don't know. I don't really know what to think about this, except that Finn's not a champion anymore. Okay. So what? Now we're just going to have him face a world champion and lose again? Is he going to feud with Shinsuke Nakamura for the next six months? Like, I want to be excited, but I have no idea why they would do this. At a a B pay-per-view, where lots of other crazy things already happened, which we'll get to. Right. What I will say is this. Um... Obviously, we know that the club reunited recently. AJ turned heel. He realigned himself with Gallows and Anderson. This is me just thinking speculation. And I'm sure that a lot of people throughout the wrestling community have these exact same thoughts that I'm about to echo. By Finn Balor now losing the Intercontinental Championship, it frees him up. And it frees up because he's on SmackDown, correct? So that means Eric Bischoff is going to be running the show now, of course, uh, the club is on Raw, but it could potentially free up for Balor to join the club, which would be awesome. When they were in New Japan, Finn Balor and AJ Styles were not together in the club because Finn Balor was signed to WWE, so obviously he got quote-unquote kicked out of the Bullet Club and AJ Styles was made its leader. Um, so this would be the first time that they would go ahead and be joining forces um, in a way which is something that a lot of people would be very very excited about. So maybe this is the this is it. Maybe this is the moment that they say, "Okay, now we can finally pull off what we've been wanting to do for 4 years." And I have, and I say 4 years because AJ signed in 2016 to WWE and then Balor was in NXT during this time. Now they're all together, all four of them. This could very well be the beginning of the club forming finally in WWE. That's just speculation. But we can't really give a review on the Balor-Nakamura match because, unfortunately, we did not watch it. So, if that's the plan, Mm -hmm. then they actually have to do something with all four of these guys. They sure do. Which, that's a lot to ask these days, especially with given certain things that are going on with this company. Yeah. And the fact that even with the super group they have in NXT, Mm -hmm. not all of them have belts. No, they don't. I have very little faith that they will actually do something with it, even if they do want to go that route, because that also means Finn Balor has to turn heel. That is correct. Which I don't know if they're ready to do that yet. We'll have to see. We'll have to I'm see. I'm just saying. But that being said, I guess congrats to Nakamura. I say congrats all in, in that way, the same way you say, because I just hope that they do something with Shinsuke. It would be nice for them to do something with Shinsuke. 
We shall see. He's a very talented performer. Here's to hoping that they can just do something with him the right way. I'm sure it was a fine match. I'm sure it was. Now, a match that we did see was the Cruiserweight Championship with Ya boy. Drew Gulak defending the cruiserweight title versus ya boy, Tony Nese. Gotta stop doing that. <laughs> I don't pay I attention. I love Tony Nese, but in this feud, he's ya boy, Tony Nese. <laughs> I barely pay attention to the man. So, uh, of course, Drew Gulak defeated Tony Nese at Stomping Grounds in Tacoma, Washington to gain his first cruiserweight Championship. This is the rematch. Yeah, and now it, it took place in his hometown, Philadelphia, of good old Philly. Uh, once again, this is on the pre-show, which I've said before, and actually you've said, and I will echo. So I will give you credit for this. Uh, they really should just put the two hundred five live. Yes, the two hundred five live championship, the cruiserweight title. They should just be putting those on NXT takeovers, much like a lot of times. And I know they've been doing the. Uh, they've been doing the British takeovers. NXT UK. Right, NXT UK. And I realized that they were putting the UK title on some of the takeovers. I, honestly, they've already been doing a talent share with 205 Live and NXT. Yeah. You can bring the Cruiserweight title out for some of the big shows, but I don't want to say people didn't care about Drew Gulag versus Tony Nese. Actually, on the contrary, I think they kind of did. But I think people were just kind of waiting for the show to start. Yeah. Because there were 15 minutes to go in the pre-show when they finally did this match. And I'm going to go ahead and echo something that you went ahead and said during our preview show this last uh, Friday. um, That you kind of hate rematches or automatic rematches because unless there's a storyline that could really, you could see the person who lost the title previously really gain it back. It's a foregone conclusion that the person who is currently the champion is more than likely going to defend. And you really kind of had the sense uh, in that, in this particular match between Nice and Gulak, that Gulak just won three and a half weeks ago. There would be no reason, with all the momentum that Tony Lee has lost, why would you give the title back to him when all the momentum in the world is currently on the side of Drew Gulak? Yes. So. Which, again, that that is the inherent problem when you do rematches. Exactly. So... For a cruiserweight title match on a pre-show, on a B pay-per-view that was given seven and a half minutes, this was fine. Mm -hmm. Drew Gulak hit his finisher. He pinned Tony Nese clean. That's your winner. He retains. As far as I'm concerned, next challenger for Drew Gulak. Now, if you want my personal opinion about who should get the next title shot with this. Uh, Knowing you, you're probably going to say the Brian Kendrick. No, I am actually not. Shock. I think storyline-wise, it makes much more sense to build up Gentleman Jack Gallagher. Okay. Not saying he should be winning the title, but they have that kind of feud that kind of, because they all split up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was Kendrick, there was Gallagher. Gallagher's been on TV much more. I want to see Gallagher and Gulak wrestle again, this time for the title. They're, it doesn't have to be- They are very good wrestlers. Yes. I'm not saying it should be at SummerSlam, even though it's the next pay-per-view, but again, 205 Live kind of has a very limited roster. So if this is kind of a transition period because you're going to have Gulak hold the title, I know I'm saying transition in their second biggest pay-per-view, but some of these matches are going to be transition matches. They're not going to be feud-ending matches, which again, that goes back to they made some interesting choices on this pay-per-view, being with title changes and how things were booked, but I'm okay with it mostly because it means that maybe even crazier things are going to happen next month. So Gulak retains, 
They were give, we were given a bunch of time left on the pre-show. By the way, there was like six <sighs> minutes left on the pre-show. Okay, I'm going to say this very nicely. Okay, Charlie Caruso's great. Jonathan Coachman is good. Sam Roberts and Beth Phoenix need to not be on the pre-show. They literally add nothing. Nothing. I would rather deal with just about anybody on the pre. In fact, if it was just Charlie Caruso and she would be interviewing, you know, wrestlers that would come up and want to cut promos during the pre-show. I, I mean, I think great. Car- I think Caruso and Coach would be good. Yes, I do not need four people out there wasting time for an hour. In fact, I don't really need an hour pre-show every pay-per-view. That's true. Can we just not have pre-shows occasionally? That's, that's a good I, point. I understand this is never going to happen now because this is part of their model and they're just going to do pre-shows. When they're bad, they're bad. I mean, I I told you, I was was watching the pre-show waiting for you to go ahead and get here to the studio. And uh, I was, you know, they were interviewing Beth Phoenix. She was part of the panel. And they were talking about The Undertaker, uh, Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, Shane McMahon, tag team match. And... uh, she mixed up her words, got super flustered, got super confused, completely forgot that Roman Reigns' name was Roman Reigns, and called 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 him Seth Rollins. And at that moment in time, I grabbed my phone and I got out of the WWE network because I could not handle what was happening at that precise moment. This is coming from a person who likes Beth Phoenix, who is wishing her success. If she is not ready to be in that role, please do not force her to be in that role until she is actually ready. I am a proponent of giving people the opportunity, but if they are not ready, please have them continue to practice. She might as well have called him Dean Ambrose. Might as well have called him Dean Ambrose, absolutely. Beth Phoenix has been on commentary in other matches, and she's not that... She doesn't have a lot to give. At that moment in time, no, she was she was on she was on commentary with Michael Cole, Renee Young, um, at Elimination Chamber for the Elimination Chamber for the at the Elimination Chamber pay per view for the women's tag team title match. She didn't give a lot of va- a lot of value. She didn't add a lot of value. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. She didn't add a lot of value to commentary that night. And then the only reason why she was on commentary again at Fastlane a couple of weeks later was just to set up the fact that she was going to be in a fatal four way at WrestleMania. As Natalia, with Natalia as her partner in the tag team title match, that was the only thing that she was there to do. She is not really adding anything of value on commentary. It sucks. It, it does suck. So I need, I want her to do this, but she needs to be ready to be able to do this. Can and she just? She, can she just like help Natalia train people? Uh, yeah, can that we would ever be great. Not on camera, please. She is a great wrestler. She actually looked. She didn't look half bad at WrestleMania. Like, she looks rusty. She hasn't wrestled in almost 10 years. But she looked great at WrestleMania for what she where she was at that moment. She can totally be helping out at NXT or helping on the main roster with the women. Yes. And again, she can be on TV. Just make sure she is ready. That being said, real quick, because I know she's your girl, happy birthday to Charlie Caruso. True story. Looked like fun on Instagram. The main show started... Shockingly... With the Graveyard Dogs. Oh, God. I hate you so much for The that. Undertaker and Roman Reigns taking on what I liked to coin the Money Psychopaths, Shane McMahon 
and Big Drew McIntyre in a no-holds-barred tag team match. This opened the show. I was actually a little taken back. Now, I thought it was going to main event. They had a plan. Say what you want about the main event or what happened after the main event, yeah. which we'll get to. I may actually be defending Brock Lesnar on this on this podcast. I know. Gasp. Like, shut it off for 30 seconds and scream if you know how I feel about Brock Lesnar in general. <laughs> I may actually be defending it. This was, quite frankly. A great opener. A really great opener. It was fun. Okay, hold on. Shall we? It's going to be, because I feel like we're going to go ahead and say this phrase multiple times on tonight's Fire. podcast. So, can we say it together, though? All right. Like, One, two, two, three. Fire. Okay. This match was fire. So, I said this, and it was actually repeated by other people. By the way, I was live tweeting tonight, Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. The J-Man was hitting us up on the Double Turn podcast on Instagram. We Man, caught a bunch of I, videos. I, I put up like seven videos tonight. I tweeted what I figured was a lot. I know I, I know I put our shows up on Twitter all the time, along with uh, Instagram, Facebook, a bunch of other places uh, for the listening pleasure, and I put them up on Twitter as well. So this is the first night I was live tweeting a pay-per-view. I just decided to do it. I had some fun doing it. I may actually just start doing it every pay-per-view. Absolutely. Because um, I just had fun doing it. We I, had a lot of fun. I said this, and it was echoed. This match was exactly what it needed to be, which yes. was Shane got his offense in. Drew got his offense in. Drew looked like a million bucks. Yes, he did. Roman was not getting squashed. Mm -mm. And The Undertaker got all of his stuff in. And The Undertaker took the big bump of the match. And he got the pin at the end of the night. And he redeemed himself from Saudi. Really redeemed himself so from Saudi. So are we... So are we specifically talking the Goldberg match, or are we talking about his match where he also did the Triple H, HB, sorry, your boy Triple H, <laughs> and HBK with his brother Kane? I, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and just say all of it. I am going to say all of it, because okay. at, at, um, at, at Crown Jewel, holy crap, that was some hot garbage. <laughs> that was some hot garbage. Say how you really feel. And then at... Uh, at um, Super Showdown, the Saudi Arabia edition, which is the one that just happened in April, um, his match with Goldberg, now granted, I have gone on record because I defended Goldberg and The Undertaker on this very podcast after that match happened, holler at me, Matt Riddle, um, that obviously they should have ended the match as soon as Goldberg knocked himself out. Uh, with the spear, yes. you know? very much so. So that's not something that The Undertaker or Bill, or Bill Goldberg can control. Like, they wanted the match to continue. Now, of course, Undertaker was very upset because he nearly got dropped on his head off a jackhammer and blah, blah, blah. And people were like, oh, my gosh, Undertaker shouldn't wrestle anymore. Goldberg shouldn't wrestle anymore. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, Goldberg should stay retired because he hasn't been wrestling as often as the Undertaker has. That being said, it's not like Undertaker wrestles every night. But the way that he looked tonight, it was like he wanted to redeem himself from his last couple of showings. And guess what? He did a really, really, really good job. And you can say what you want. Oh, he was in the ring with Drew McIntyre. Well, guess what? He was also in the ring with Shane McMahon, who is not a trained WWE professional. He's just a guy whose dad owns the biggest wrestling company in the world and can be very athletic and loves to go ahead and jump around. And me as a fan, 
I love it when Shane does that. Now, you said Drew McIntyre looked like a million bucks. Yes, he did. His Claymores, I absolutely jumped out of my seat for. Yeah. Uh, they looked vicious. Yep. They looked violent. Yep. There was a time where I actually thought The Undertaker was hurt. I thought he knocked his block off. And, again, Shane did his spots. The Undertaker did his spots. Roman and Drew did a lot of the heavy lifting in this match. Sure did. Elias right? got involved. Elias got involved, right? And at the end of the day, the two guys that the last time they were in the ring together were against each other, they were a really good team tonight. Yeah. In a match. Yes. I realize they were in the same ring for other things, but in a match. The last time they were in a match together was against each other. Right. I think they're going to wrestle together again. Maybe. The only thing that I would have changed about this match is because because of the feud being between Shane and Roman, Okay, I would have had Roman pin Shane for the victory. Instead of The Undertaker pinning Instead of pinning The Undertaker. Shane. But you know what? It's The Undertaker. He was the main attraction tonight. He also took the big spot. He also took the big spot. As you mentioned, he took the elbow off the, through the table. He took coast to coast with the trash can. Um, he took a claymore that looked like his head was completely torn off of his shoulders. So I'll give it. I'll, I'll, I'm fine with it. it. It's totally okay. Um, but that being said, it was a really, really fun match. It was like 15 minutes long. It was really dope. The crowd was really, really into it. Um, at the end of the match, this was a really cool moment because because you saw the Undertaker acknowledge and give the respect to, to Roman Reigns, you know, officially kind of passing the torch, which we'd already seen in the past, kind of thing. But uh, uh, you know, we couldn't really see what was said because um, the words just didn't come across that well. But shout out to Pipe Bomb News on Instagram who went ahead and you know actually put the subtitles. Undertaker told Roman Reigns, "This is your yard now." Or it's your yard now. Slapped him across the uh, chest. There was Even no handshake little, or yeah. hug. Slapped him right on the uh, chest and said, this is your yard. Yeah, it was awesome. Because the whole thing before was when he beat him. He said, this is my yard now. He, he came out for a promo. Yes. Didn't say anything. It's the best. Pro it's the second best promo of Roman Reigns' career. Was getting booed for quite some time. Yep. Finally got it out. This is my yard. Dropped the mic and went off. Because yeah. nobody wanted to see The Undertaker lose that night. That is correct. And by the way, excuse me. It is now the third best promo of Roman Reigns' career, not the second best. My apologies. So, the right team won. Yes. I still think it was the right finish. I understand why you want Roman getting the pin. The right team won. Yes. It it possibly sets up Drew versus The Undertaker. I wouldn't really have a problem with that as long as Undertaker can go ahead and stay in wrestling shape. And hopefully, this gives Roman something else to do. Yes. Roman Reigns can then move on and... Uh, I'm not. I don't know if he should be in the WWE Championship picture just yet. Not yet. But he could be in another high-profile feud with another heel on either SmackDown, preferably there, SmackDown, because that is his home show. I don't need him to continue to cross over to Raw all the time. Well, I can tell you right now that that crossover is going to continue until October. I'm well aware of that. That was their. That it's was wishful thinking. That was their uh, response to we have this time between now and October, and we want to get as many people on both shows. Right. So that's so I have a feeling the wild card rule is going away in October, but until then, we're it's just going to have to deal with it. still very much in effect. That's fine. So Taker and Roman win the no holds barred tag team match. It was the third longest match on the show. Ah. Believe the main event was longer and the last man standing match was longer. Oh, okay. Which again, I don't have any problem with. So 
The second match on the show, on the main card, the Revival taking on the Usos for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Now, I will tell you this right now. I watched Fight for the Fallen. I also watched Evolve's 10th Anniversary Show. Then I watched this show, and I will tell you, regardless of what Cody says at the end of the pay-per-view, that being Fight for the Fallen, or what anybody has said about tag team wrestling in general, including myself, this match is a direct response to how AEW is treating tag team wrestling. Because not only was the Young Bucks and the Rhodes match on that show, we also saw the Lucha Brothers and SoCal Uncensored on that show. We also saw six-man tags and, 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 and an actual triple threat tag team match all on that show that were all given time, taken seriously, and made prominent parts of that show. Guarantee you this match between the Revival and the Usos that people have been waiting for as like a show stealer because everybody remembers the Revival versus Gargano and Champa. Yeah. Right? And, and, and they and had their knockdown drag out fights. And, uh, Authors of Pain. Yes. So I think people have kind of been waiting for this to be just the next chapter in both of these teams putting together like incredible work. Right. So this is where my beef began with Eric Beeston of Bleacher Report. Because Eric right. Beeston thought that it was okay to go ahead and give this match a B- minus when he is clearly inaccurate in his assessment. Now, here's what I will tell you. Yes. This match went 12 and a half minutes. Yes, it did. I believe every tag team match on Fight for the Fallen was at least at least 50% longer. That being said, they also don't have any titles Except on for the, the tag line. titles. Except for the no, no. But the, what I'm saying is there was no titles defended at Fight for the Fallen because they have no tag team championships. Ah, uh, correct. So, so here's what I will tell you: Young Bucks and they're calling themselves the Brotherhood. Thirty-one minutes. Jeez, uh, that was also the main event. Now here is this does surprise me: the Lucha Brothers and SoCal Uncensored went fifteen minutes. And the triple threat tag also went 15 minutes. So I am wrong. And how, that how, many, how many matches were at Fight for the Fallen? Nine. They had two on the pre-show and seven on the main card. Okay, so and Extreme Rules ended up having 13 matches. So you kind of see Correct. where the difference is, first of all. Second now, of all, let me just, okay. if I may, sure. I just want to say this. I'm going to go ahead and back up the mic because that's what you taught me. Oh, boy. He's getting ready to yell. Say it loud one time for the people in the back. Tag team wrestling matters. Do you feel better? Absolutely. All right. Now, all that out of the way. This was a really fun 12 and a half minute tag team Hell match yeah, for the Raw was. Tag That's Team titles. And by the way, the Raw Tag Team titles I on this show told you was less relevant than the 24-7 title. The revivals they, and the Usos had a problem with that assessment. They have a lot of work to do with the tag team division. So... As much as I want to praise this match, and I will, the fact that we had lots of good wrestling on this show yeah. and a lot of good wrestling in this match. The Usos play to their strengths. The Revival play to their strengths. It's a very simple formula. I love the, the fact that, the, that the, the Revival beat them clean. There was no shenanigans. Yes. So, again, the Usos, who were wearing pajamas tonight, or lounge pants, or whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. You could kind of tell that these guys were here. They were going to put together the best match possible. 
but I had no inkling that they were actually going to beat the Revival. No, but you could tell. And normally, mm-hmm. I I actually like taper that down for a match. I actually make that match less important in my eyes because I don't think a team's going to win. Right. But it's the Usos, and anything can happen because, you know, they just beat people for no reason on they're, pay-per-views. And they're also the, the best tag team of this generation, in and, my eyes. And in the hierarchy of WWE, they're pretty high up there. They are, they are probably the top team. They just don't have the titles at the uh, moment. Other, other than the Revival who, uh, you know, get, get... No, I'm saying that the Revival are stuck with, you know, back-shaving jokes and, yeah. you know, itchy crotch jokes and mm-hmm. all types of stuff. They're not taking it seriously. They're not. So, if you're telling me that this match ended with 12 minutes of quality tag team wrestling... With the Revival hitting their finisher clean in the middle of the ring with a nice little spot where there was a spot in the corner and there was a blind tag made and they set up Shatter Machine perfectly, called it 10 seconds before it happened. Perfect. I have no complaints with a simple, balanced tag team match in a division that has been basically treading water for the good part of years. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to complain about about that match. And the Revival the Revival retained their titles because, I don't know, they're made important on TV because I know everybody hates Shane McMahon, and I know he's on TV way too much, but when you put people with Shane McMahon and they're going to be important, you might as well have them win matches. Absolutely. So here's the thing. Um, On last week's show, I said that Daniel Bryan is holding the tag tag team division right now with strings he is keeping it together however he needs assistance from the other tag teams within the company to help him if they want to continue to keep this tag team division afloat both on raw and on smackdown now i was reading a particular website the website that i've already acknowledged twice on this podcast and this is not a knock against them they were talking about the ace in the hole for all elite wrestling is the fact that their tag team division is so gosh darn deep that is accurate I mean, you've got the Lucha Bros, you've got the Young Bucks, you've now got the Brotherhood, you've got SoCal Uncensored, and you've got tons and tons of other tag teams in there that are very, very good at what they do. The Usos and the Revival, and Daniel Bryan and Rowan, and the New Day, Heavy Machinery, Viking Raiders, Hawkins and Ryder, I mean, I'm going to give them a shout out, they're part of the tag team division, it is what it is. The Street Profits, um, Oni and Lorcan, the Undisputed Era, everybody, the... uh, um, the Forgotten Sons, and I know they're in NXT, but they're still part of World Wrestling Entertainment as a whole. They have to come together and have to ma- make sure that they realize that what they do in that ring matters to the division and how they are looked upon throughout the entire world by the wrestling community. That being said, the Usos and the Revival probably watched last night at Fight for the Fallen and told themselves, hey, remember that we're the best tag team in the world and the Revival also said to themselves, hey, we are the best tag team in the world. When you have that mentality, it's, it, it just gives you this confidence to, allow, to be, allow yourself to be able to go ahead and put the best product that you possibly can out there. And the Revival and the Usos, it wasn't a classic, but it was a very, very, very good wrestling match. And I'm happy to say that... I feel like that's given the shove that the tag team division needs in WWE. So here's to them continuing to do so, and congrats to the Revival, because I hope that they stay tag team champs uh, for as long as they possibly can. By the way, do you remember who started the whole FTR thing? 
for the revival? It it's it, it is that would be it Cody, is Cody Rhodes. Rhodes. So I'm not uh, I'm not surprised at all with uh, with them putting emphasis on this match at all. Revival retain their Raw Tag Team Championships. Now, J Man, I want you to uh, I want you to tell me yeah that uh, that I'm a genius. Roswell, I've known you for now two years. You've mm-hmm. become a very, very good friend and the one of the few people that I'd ever want to do a podcast with. Therefore, we are doing a podcast together. Uh, on multiple occasions, I have called you very intelligent. This is one of those times. Carry on, sir. Alistair Black and Cesaro, quite, quite frankly, had one of the best nine-minute and 45-second matches I've seen all year. Uh, they had one of the greatest under 10-minute matches I have ever seen in my life. Now, I will be fair, because that's what I like to be You're on this fair podcast. Man, sir. I thought this was rushed. I thought this program was very eh. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of enthusiasm as to where they were going with this. And then I sat down yesterday, because I had two days to kind of not think about not that I hated our show on Thursday by any means. I'm saying that, like, we had talked about it, done our preview and prediction show. And I really thought about it on Saturday. Because I had a moment and I said, you know what? I said on this podcast that these two have a chance to have the match of this show. Either given time or given the fact that these two men are absolutely unbelievable mm-hmm. when they when they want to, need to, or are allowed to be. And I said, <laughs> okay, the storyline doesn't make any sense. They've kind of rushed this. Cesaro had nothing to do. They wanted to put Black on pay-per-view instead of just waiting till SummerSlam. Okay, we're going to have this match. Let's hope for the best. Right. I've said many times on this show that I am infuriated with the fact that Cesaro is where he is in this company. I guarantee you if he walks into any other wrestling company in this planet, yes, in this planet, I said, he would be a main eventer day one. No questions asked. I'm here to tell you right now, he made Aleister Black look like a million bucks while making himself look like a million bucks. This match had taunting. This match Cesaro had, talked some smack in this match. This match had one-upsmanship. Yeah. This match had... As good a psychology as you're going to get for an under 10-minute match, yeah, you're going to get fast-paced. This you're going to – go ahead. It was incre- There's a difference between the last man standing match being incredibly physical because obviously there was a lot of uh, big spots. Mm-hmm. This match was just flat-out physical in the sense that they were very, very stiff. So Cesaro – with his uppercuts and yeah. pretty much everything he does, and this is why I love the man. Other than, well, there are there are a lot of things that I like about him as a performer. I look at Antonio Cesaro, and yes, I'm using the full name because Get unfortunately we shorten names everywhere. Ali, next, Rusev, next, Andrade. Next, we're just going to call you the instead of J Man or J or just Man. They're going to call Brock Lesnar Les. Yeah, why not? Or Nur? Why not, bro? He and Matt Riddle can be the bros together because we have to shorten everybody's name. Becky Lynch is going to be Bex. Go ahead. Gosh. (laughs) Antonio Cesaro. Yeah. He makes every move, everything he does, believable. Yeah, it looks like it hurts. 
it looks like he's really beating the crap out of Aleister Black. And by the way, Aleister Black, pretty much on the same wavelength. (laughs) So when you put two guys in the ring that make things look believable, their timing is crisp, and that's the other thing, okay? Some guys, you look at it and you go, this could be a really good match. And either they don't have the chemistry, or their timing's off, or just something's off. Whether it's it just wasn't the right time, not a lot of practice went into it, just something's off. I'm, t- I'm here to tell you right now, I bet you these two did not run through this match that much. Because they don't have to. Because I bet you they're that comfortable with the fact of, Okay, I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really look like I'm, 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 I'm kicking your ass, mm-hmm. and vice versa. That springboard uppercut from Cesaro is, a, oh. is it's, it's just a, it, it's pretty. I made the joke, by the way, for any of you that have played Street Fighter, M Bison Psycho Crusher. That's exactly what it looked like. Absolutely, and Alistair. Okay, so we we've praised Cesaro, saying that he's absolutely incredible. Now, allow That's us, taking nothing away from Aleister Black, by the way, because he was equally as good. Allow us to because this is this was his showcase tonight, really. Although, let's be honest, Cesaro went ahead and showcased himself at the at the same time, and it was bloody marvelous. Okay, I just went British. Shout out to my British peeps. Lewis Hamilton won the British Grand Prix today. Holla at your boy. Um, it was bro. I mean, dude, Aleister Black though. Like, if you've never watched this man perform, go watch NXT. Go watch NXT. Go ahead and start with this match with Velveteen Dream at NXT War Games in 2017. And then go ahead and watch his amazing match with Adam Cole, Extreme Rules match, um, in NXT Philadelphia. Watch him and Andrade tear it down. Watch him and Ciampa go to town on each other. Watch him and Gargano go to town on each other. Then watch the Fatal Five-Way. And then watch the the match with the War Raiders and Ricochet at NXT New York. Watch everything that this man does, except for the Lars Sullivan match, because it's got the biggest botch in the history of Aleister Black's career, and it wasn't even his fault. This man is very good at the thing that he does for his career, professional wrestling. He takes this kickboxing mantra, his style, and he makes it work. And those kicks that he hits you with, they don't just look real. They're real, but they don't kill you, which is great, which is what makes professional wrestling wonderful. You know? I do have one thing. I do have one thing to say bad about this match. Like what? Okay. You have Aleister Black cut these spooky promos backstage uh-huh. for months. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And then Cesaro just says he's fighting him on Sunday. We could have had the exact same promos of somebody doing spooky promos in the back. Right? Anybody. Right? Cesaro comes out. He's like, you know that guy that's been doing spooky promos for the last few months? I'm challenging him. He comes out. Nobody knows who's been cutting spooky promos. For all they know, it's Bray Wyatt. Or it's somebody else spooky that we haven't seen in a while. And then, Aleister Black's music comes out. I guarantee you, the Philly crowd would have popped. The WWE Network pay-per-view watchers would have popped. The announcers would have popped. It would have made the moment 
even bigger. Instead, it was Aleister Black's been cutting promos. Cesaro just answered the call, and we had a match. Now, as a, again, I said, this was one of the best 10-minute matches I've ever seen. But we could have built it to where, oh my gosh, it's Aleister Black and Cesaro? I didn't even know I wanted to see this match. Instead, it was, oh yeah, I didn't know I wanted to see this match, but oh gosh, like we had like four days build and I don't really know how I feel about it because this is the payoff to Aleister Black cutting spooky promos for months. So that's my criticism. It was a great match. Please go rewatch it. It was awesome. All right. The criticism is fair. Now, I said at Stomping Grounds, we were about at the halfway point in the show, and there was a match that I said, this match is the worst match on the show because the crowd decided because it was Daniel Bryan's hometown, they were going to cheer Bryan and Rowan, and they were not going to give Heavy Machinery a chance to be the babyfaces, regardless of what happened in the match. Yeah. And at the time, I said, if this was the worst show, or if this was the worst match on the show, this is a great pay-per-view. Okay. We are at that point in this pay-per-view where I thought the following match was the worst match on the show. Interesting that you say that. Bailey versus Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss in a handicap match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, I will say this. I will be fair. As always. They did not clarify the rules. We were going to find out at the match. Oh, and before the match happened, they cut a really weird promo backstage that involved R-Truth, Carmella, and the Street Profits. Now, it makes sense that R-Truth and Carmella are backstage whining about the 24-7 title and cutting dumb promos because that's their gimmick right now. Well... Our truth cuts the. Dumb well, problems. Carmella hangs out with him, so I mean, you are the you are in the company that you keep. I feel like, never mind. Go she ahead. could easily leave him at any point. Fair. Just saying. I have no idea why the Street Profits are on television on the main roster. I have no idea why they're on pay per view. I have no idea why they're cutting promos with Paul Heyman during TV. I have no idea why they were in this promo. I have no idea why people think they're cool. And I have no idea why the NXT Tag Team Champions are on Raw or on this pay-per-view. Are they funny? Are they relevant? Are they edgy? I don't know. I mean, they are relevant because they're the NXT Tag Team Champs. But the other question, the other questions, I don't have an answer to. Okay. Like, to me, they just hold belts. Okay. Great. There are guys that hold belts that I don't find relevant that were on this show. All right. That's my that's my small soapbox. Okay. This match was a handicap match in which one team had tags and the other one didn't have a partner. I felt like this took away from the match because the idea is that Nikki Cross and Alexa do everything together. So it makes sense that it would just be the two of them attacking Bailey the entire match. Now, they did some double team spots, they did the New Day kicks in the corner. They worked well together most of the match. Yes. However, this match was built to have Bailey look really good because she's beating two competitors. Not to mention we were wrong on our, our, uh, our prediction that we thought Sasha Banks was going to show up in Philly. She did not. She did not. She's now, apparently in Japan. I will tell you that 
I still think they did the wrong finish because they did the finish that was predictable, right? which is Bailey pin Nikki Cross. Because the storyline is that Nikki Cross is just kind of with Alexa Bliss. So even though they're not considered equals, mm-hmm. I figured, oh, Nikki Cross is going to somehow do something that's going to cost Alexa the match. Because you're putting Nikki in this spot where she's going to have a feud with one of your top ladies on your roster. So you should treat her like a big deal and not have her take pins in a match that she wanted with her and Alexa. Because she's been doing all the hard work leading up to this point of getting Alexa a title shot. And then she added herself to the match because she won a match and got to choose the stipulation. So, to me, it would make sense for Bailey to pin Alexa. However, if that is my critique of this match, of the fact of I thought this shouldn't have been a tag match and it should have just been the two of them... Mm -hmm. I thought Bailey looked really good in this match. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I went ahead and said uh, during the match was how well Bailey was performing throughout the entire match, and uh, I gave her high praise. And I'm gonna go ahead and say it on this podcast right now: Bailey is on the verge of looking as good as she did in her 2015 NXT Women's Championship run. Uh, that's how good she's looking right now. Um, they're booking her well. They're booking her strong. Obviously, they booked her strong. They booked her to go ahead and beat two women at the same time tonight. That's pretty. That's about as strong as you could go ahead and possibly look. It's funny that you say that to you this was the worst match on the card. Ross, this wasn't the worst match on the card for me. And Again, I'm not letting you count the 17-second match so Ross, between KO and Ziggler. Because that's not a match. I, I, that's, well, I want you to hear me out because okay. uh, of the... Of the two of us who run this podcast, I am the per- I am the person that says that I am a fan of Kofi Kingston. My mic wasn't even on. That's that's yeah. that's I've done that now every show. It's okay. So my my answer was that the seventeen second the seventeen second match, match does not count. count because I don't right. consider that a match. That's fair. So that's not what I was going to tell you. I genuinely think that the worst match on the card was Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe. I can't what? believe I just said that, <laughs> and I'm a Kofi <laughs> Kingston fan. You know, I'm a Samoa Joe fan. I just don't like. I, I know that's crazy. I'll ha- I'll tell you my reasons when we go ahead and get to that match. But uh, yeah, I actually genuinely enjoyed the Bailey Alexa Nikki Cross match. Again, Bleacher Report out here giving it a C. Get out of here with that baloney, Eric Beeston. I actually thought that it was a rather enjoyable match. I would have loved for some for Samoa Joe for Sasha Banks to go ahead and show up in Philly tonight. It was unfortunately not the case. Watch, Ross is gonna go ahead and go out here and either record what I just said or put it up on Twitter. He's gonna be like, yo, J Mink, J Man said that Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe was the worst match on Extreme Rules. What I'm going to I'm going to uh I'm going to reverb what you just said. Okay. The J Man who loves Kofi Kingston as the WWE champion. I do. Who has defended him being a B-plus player and basically a guy on the roster just being made the WWE champion. Yep. He thought he had the worst match on the Extreme Rules 2019 pay-per-view. I said it. That just happened. I don't lie. I am flabbergasted. It's cool. Please continue. I just... And I also said another thing during this match about Alexa Bliss that to me, she has the best in ring psychology of any of the females that are on the roster, Charlotte included. I have 
on multiple occasions said that Charlotte Flair is the greatest women's wrestler in the history of professional wrestling. I will say that until somebody else proves me wrong. Also coming from a Becky Lynch fan. But Alexa, Alexa Bliss's in-ring psychology is absolutely unbelievable. And you know what? Nikki Cross out here looking like she's ready to go ahead and just kill people with her thighs because it's, it's like tree trunks that she has and she's got these biceps that are freaking bigger than Alexa Bliss's head. She was doing great stuff out here too. This was actually a really fun match. I don't know why people are kind of hating on it. Uh, Bailey's out here putting on some like cool heel, like a, a heel, like spreading of somebody's shin type of submission. Uh, I I enjoyed it very much. And then her, guess what? Her elbow drop. It's Bailey's. really good. Mm-hmm. Bailey's Bailey's elbow drop is actually really really good. So I will also tell you that there are going to be people that critique this match. Yeah. Because they wanted this to be a one on one match. They did, or they wanted Sasha to go ahead and show up. I did too. But if the point of this match was to have Bailey get over and look like a million bucks, they did their Succeeded. job. Now, knocked that out of the park. We also did not see a breakup between Nikki and Alexa. I don't think we're ready yet. for that yet. I have a feeling it's going to happen. Although, oh, it's going to happen. Although I can tell you right now, Alexa Bliss is still going to get cheered over Nikki Cross. Maybe. I mean, she got cheered when she walked out. So did Nikki Cross, but Alexa Bliss was probably the most over person in that match tonight. That's probably true. I like Alexa Bliss. It was, again, for everything I just said, for everything you just said, it was a ten and a half minute match in the middle of the card. I thought it was enjoyable. It was a match. That's fair. It gets Bailey over. She was booked into oblivion for years. This was fine. And we mentioned this, and we said this on the Instagram updates that we're putting that we were putting up. Not once did they mention their 2017 kendo stick on a pole match from two years ago at the same exact pay per view. With good reason. Thank Why? Goodness. Because that match was hot garbage, and Bailey and Alexa have placed that match behind them, and are now giving us basically much better quality wrestling than they could have ever given us back in 2017. Shout out to them. Shout out to Nikki Cross, too. She played her part really, really well. And I didn't think that this was the match, the worst match on the card. Now, here's what I will tell you. If this was the worst match on the card, which I will say, the next match... <laughs> okay, let me tell you something right now. Get in there. All right. I have had very high praise for Braun Strowman and very high praise for Bobby Lashley. Baberto. For what they are capable of. Okay. I've said many times on this show, if you want to book Bobby Lashley appropriately, go watch his time in Impact. That's how you do it. He's big. He's strong. He beats people up. He's fast. Last I checked, Braun Strowman is big. He's strong. He beats people up. And he's, and he's fast in short bursts. Okay? You put two men that are big and strong and beat people up and put them in a last man standing match where they fight all over the arena, hit people with objects, and genuinely just two big guys beating the hell out of each other. This was an awesome match! Say it with me, Ross. Three, two, one. This match was Fire! fire. 
Smash okay. was fire, yo. I've said before, it is criminal that Braun Strowman has not been a world champion in this company. It's also criminal that Bobby Lashley has not been a world champion except for being an ECW world champion, which really doesn't count. It is criminal how they've mostly, once again, misused Bobby Lashley. Yeah. It is also criminal how most of this feud has been. It's been hot garbage. They the did a rope tugging contest yep. for strength. Now, they did the LED board thing, which was a cool spot. Unfortunately, they're like, oh, Braun Strowman might have a ruptured spleen. He may not wrestle. Yeah, it, it, he was he was up like two weeks later. He's superhuman. I get it. He's the monster among men. Strong. I get it. Okay. Now, I will tell you, I am not alone when I say this. I had below zero expectations for this match. I figured, okay, they're going to do some stuff in the ring. They may do stuff at ringside. They may go up by the LED board again and tease that spot again or something weird like that. You had said that people were saying that they were going to have a double count out. I remember the popular theme being that somebody was going to do a big spot and they were both going to not reach the 10 count because they were going to finish this off at SummerSlam. I'm here to tell you right now, if they want this feud to be over, it's over. They fought up the stairs. They fought at ringside. They fought by the concessions. They fought by the merchandise. They fought back down the stairs. They made their way back to the ring. Or actually, no, they didn't because then they had the spot at the end of the match. Oh, man. So they're over by this area. There's a bunch of people moving from this small little area, right? Yeah. A lot of times WWE actually does a pretty good job of setting up very controlled spots like the one they did. So wherever this was, it was probably like an area where you normally see people walking in and out. It's like a little area like that. It looks like they put like some padded dumpster over there, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Braun Strowman is about to pick him up. You're like, I have no idea how high this is off the ground. Like, we've seen crazy stuff from Shane and Miz, for goodness sake, where they looked like they fell like 20 feet. Shane jumped off a cage, for goodness sake. They are not shy from doing big spots. Yeah. So I was like, this could be 20 feet in the air. Now, it wasn't. It was like 10 feet. But they're building up of it. I was like, are they actually going to do a spot like this? Because they had (laughs) mostly done, you know, okay, I'm beating you up on the stairs. I'm beating you up outside of the ring. I'm beating you up, you know, in a controlled area where – there's, you know, just a wall. Or I may just or may not have shouted that Braun Strowman was about to commit a hate crime. You did actually shout that. <laughs> so he picks him up to do his running power slam. He and Bobby Lashley both jump off of a off of an area of a stage up there. Yeah. Into a box. And I was like, oh no, they're gonna do a double count out. Oh no. Braun Strowman was crawling around, walking around like a monster. The referee starts his 10 count. Now, at the time, I'm like, the referee, who was in better position on top where he was. Hold on. Before you continue with that, I would just like to clarify that the referee of the last man standing match was your boy, John, John Cone. Cone. One, on. two, two, slick back, even though he, even though he changed his hair. He I'm, did. He I'm could. not happy about that. <laughs> you that's made okay. That, you've made your thoughts. So, yeah. so John Cone, who's in better position on top of where they just were so he could look in to see where people are standing. Yep. Oh, no. His idea was to go down below and start a blind 10 count in a last man standing match. <laughs> I was about to be 
furious. Well, the funny thing was that... Because it's a typical com- WWE thing to do. And not to mention, Renee Young, Corey Graves, and Michael Cole are calling that. They're saying they're, he's counting blind. He yes. could be Strowman could be moving around in there, or Lashley could, or they can both be completely out. So the planned spot was for John Cohn, the referee, to get to seven, and Braun Strowman was going to punch his way out of the box, get to his feet, and then John Cohn went eight, nine, ten, it's over. Braun Strowman is your winner of the last man standing match. This match did not have to be super violent. Again, in an era where there's not going to be a lot of blood Mm -hmm. or just outward on purpose carnage. By the way, there was blood sometime tonight. It was hard way in a couple of the matches. Right, Undertaker was busted open. Lacey Evans had, you know, kind of like a bloody mouth going she, thing. She had busted lip. I think Biggie kind of had like a little bit of a scratch on his head. Which again, stuff like that happens. Yeah, like you can't plan for that stuff. But they want to not have on purpose carnage and blading and all right. that stuff. Blading right? is completely illegal. It's completely illegal. So, for what it was, it was a fight. It was a brawl. Mm-hmm. And again, last I checked. Two big guys beating each other up. That's wrestling. Hashtag get in there. Look, I understand that people want to see moves and people want to see psychology. And there was some moves. If I'm not mistaken, when they were kind of fighting in the mezzanine in the in the, in the uh, outside area of mm-hmm. the uh, arena, uh, Strowman picked up Lashley in kind of a, a suplex maneuver and then slammed him against the... Uh, the wall in the outside in the mezzanine. He did. It was dope. He did. Again, you're telling me that these two are having a last man standing match. You're telling me that they're going to have freedom to beat the hell out of each other. And then you're telling me there's going to be a def- a, a definite winner. Right? Uh-huh. Definitive winner. I was combining definite and definitive. A definitive winner. How can you not like this match? This match was great. And by the way, uh, so Lashley lost the match. This was the best Bobby Lashley has looked since he got re-signed by WWE. And that's saying a lot because he did look great in the Roman Reigns feud. But ever since then, he's really fallen from grace. And in this, in these two last matches with Strowman, he's looked awesome. He has looked awesome. I mean, there was one move where he picked up Strowman and he ran him through the barricade when they were coming back towards the ring area. Yes. And then when he went, and then towards the last five minutes of the match, he jumped over the barricade. Now, granted, he slipped off the barricade, but he landed on his two feet. And then uh, Strowman threw him onto, uh, shout out to Funaki and the Japanese commentators for WWE. He threw, Strowman threw Lashley onto them. But, you know... It still looked great, and Lashley looked awesome. It took Lashley, it, it basically, for what it, it took Strowman to beat Lashley, the fact that he needed to power slam him 10 feet off the ground through this box. That's what it took to beat Bobby Lashley. It took a power slam from 10 feet in the air. How else, How how much, stronger could you make somebody else look in a last in the last man standing match and that's the important key here is that as i've said many times if you have a match where you don't want either guy to lose why are you booking the match so i could have seen bobby lashley getting a big win against braun Strowman. 
or Braun Strowman continuing this theme of, well, they're kind of building him back up. You know, he was a world title contender for a while. He was runner-up at the Royal Rumble. Like, he's had some strong showings, right? So, again, this match helps Braun. This match helps Bobby. And it was a very welcome addition on a show that had already seen a lot of good wrestling. And this one had a nice stipulation that wasn't overly crazy that fit in perfectly on the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. I have no complaints about this match this as a brawl this, this was perfect, perfect. Yeah. and by the way as i was saying we want to see moves we want to see psychology we want to see good wrestling this is a fight which last i checked pro wrestling can be a fight too braun Strowman is your winner of the last man standing match this match was great this match was great we then had the first real surprise of the night. I, I get it. Finn Balor losing the Intercontinental title. That was a bit of a shock. Right, but we didn't watch that. Correct. Daniel Bryan and Rowan defending the SmackDown Tag Team Championships against The New Day, Xavier Woods and Big E Langston, and Heavy Machinery, Blue Collar, Otis and Tucker. Tucky. Now, the purpose of this match was to make Heavy Machinery the showcase. Because at the last pay-per-view, I think that was the plan, was that they were going to showcase Heavy Machinery against Daniel Bryan and Rowan, and the crowd never gave them that chance. So in this pay-per-view, they said, we're going to add, or we're going to have New Day versus Bro or Rowan. Ryan, see, I did it again. Bryan and Rowan. And then we're going to add Heavy Machinery in, and now we're going to give the platform to Heavy Machinery to actually showcase themselves. Well, boy, howdy, this match was awesome. And I can't say that about a lot of times in triple threat tag team matches where there's just a lot of stuff going on. Now, I will say this. Heavy Machinery looked really good in this match. The New Day looked really good in this match. Brian and Rowan... Kind of there. That does not mean they were bad. That does not mean that they did not perform well. But in the midst of this match, they simply were the guys that walked in with the belts. That's amazing considering where a lot of people and this company have put Daniel Bryan in their hierarchy. This is a huge step, especially since the New Day are the tag champions again after a nice little spot in which they set up the midnight hour or whatever. They, actually, is it the midnight hour or is midnight it up, hour. up, down, down? Midnight hour. Okay, so it's only when Kofi is there they call it the up, up, down, I down. I don't know. I just, it's dumb. It's, okay? it's the, it was the midnight hour that they hit. Okay, so it was Brian that jumped off the top rope. Biggie caught him. Xavier hit midnight hour. And they pinned him. Now, prior to that, Daniel Bryan was hitting the yes kicks. He was. And uh, all of a sudden, Biggie. Uh, let me tell you something. Can I just say this really quickly? There's not a lot of things that scare me as a human being in the uh -huh. world. Seeing Biggie Langston, again, full name, just as you went ahead and called Cesaro on Tony He hulked up, is he what hulked, he did. He hulked up. I was scared for my life. And I'm watching this on the computer screen. Can you imagine Daniel Bryan? 
So he gets up. He's hulking up. Daniel Bryan slaps him. Biggie looks at him with this look of death and is egging him on, do it again, do it again. I think Daniel Bryan proceeds to slap him two more times. And from that moment on, Biggie committed murder. Like he killed Daniel Bryan. <laughs> Ross is over here laughing because it's actually the truth. It was hilarious. And then they hit the midnight hour and pinned Daniel Bryan and the New Day became six-time WWE Tag Team Champions. If you had any doubts that Biggie Langston can be a single star? It was, no. Watch this match. Yes. This match, oh my God, Biggie. And you know what? And shout out to X, too. Shout, X did great. True story. And But, so if you had to go ahead and kind of do like a little order of the stars of this match. Okay. I would probably say the number one star, the number one star, easily, had to have been Otis. Yes, Otis very was, much so. Otis was phenomenal. Now, he did get gassed near the end of the match. He's a big boy. And Tucker was not too far behind him. No. But I will tell you. Large human beings. That their goal was to get Otis and Tucker over tonight. I think that's. I think they I succeeded. I think they accomplished it. Yes. I'm, I've become a big fan of heavy machinery over the past couple of months. Not, not only because of their quirky promos, but. I've now watched them wrestle over the past three or they're four good. months. They're they're damn good for their size. Not just because of their size, they're just good. And then when you take in the fact that when you look at Otis, Otis is an easy three hundred plus pounds. Mm-hmm. He might be six foot. Might be six foot. Yes. Tucker, on the other hand, Tucker Knight is probably like six foot four, six foot five, but also a heavy set individual. So I want to tell you something. Yeah. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because Uh you are the historian on this show. I want to see Heavy Machinery versus the Viking Raiders. Okay. Now, I believe they wrestled in May of 2018 on an NXT show. That sounds about right. Is that the last time they wrestled each other? No. Okay. The last time that they wrestled each other. Was it December? Did they wrestle no, each other no, in no, no. I'm sorry. No. Yes, it would have been May. I'm sorry. I thought I, I forgot that the that the War Raiders won the NXT Tag Team Titles in January at NXT Phoenix. Yes. Um. It, and their la- Heavy Machinery's last match was in December, but it was against the Undisputed Era when they okay. were champions. So this match has made me want to see the Viking Raiders versus Heavy Machinery. Yes, actually, that would act. Yeah. Because I want to see four big boys beat each other up in a tag team match. We just talked about Bobby Lashley and Braun Strowman going to town on each other. This would be perfect. Yes. I mean, Otis and I, I, I call him Hanson. He's actually, is he Eric or Ivar? Now? It's one of the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Mr. 305 Live, as I like to call yes. him. Yes. And Otis, there was a spot in the match where Otis was going to go for a suicide dive. Yes, he was. <laughs> now, <laughs> now. It was. It's hilarious because this is, again, Otis. What I love about Otis is his humor. His. It's not just his mannerisms, but his body language is hysterical. Yes. To watch, and he's very, very athletic for a man his size. So, so he was going to do a suicide dive. He stopped. He got out on the edge of the apron and he then goes did the his rope, move. And then he just jumps. If there was ever a time for for the crowd to make a joke and say "Holy s, Holy s." 
Instead of him doing it the was, suicide dive and doing a much safer move, it was that. It would have been that. And it was that funny. That would have been funny. And, and you know what? Philadelphia appreciated it. I know for a fact they did because oh. you could hear the smirks in the crowd, not just like, oh, making fun of him. No, it was just, it was a genuinely funny moment. And it's okay to have genuinely funny moments in a, in a match. Yes. And this was one of those moments. So anyways, back to what I was originally saying, Otis would have been the number one star for me. Um, I would then say Biggie, number two. I'd say Tucker three. I'd say I'd say X four, DB five, and then Rowan six. That's not taking anything away from Daniel Bryan and Rowan. But what I will say is I'm a little bit surprised that they took the tag team titles away from Daniel Bryan and Rowan this swoon. Now, what it seems like to me is obviously what they wanted to do is have every member of the New Day have gold. Same thing that they should be doing with the Undisputed Era in NXT. Um, the only thing that I can imagine that will come from this is that Daniel Bryan is about to get propelled back into the main event scene. It has to happen because he is the one of the biggest heels in all of wrestling. You have to propel him back into the main event ASAP if you're not going to have him hold your tag team division on lockdown. Which is what we've said is that if they choose to do this, which again, I was very surprised they did this. But you know what? I know that you're not the greatest fan of the New Day. I know that. However, this match was dope. Yes. New Day killed it. You and love you love Biggie. And now all and now all three men have belts. And th- that's it's a cool storyline to have. Sure. As long as it's not the same storyline six months from now. That's correct. Because that doesn't need to happen. No, it does not. Not even at their peak would I have wanted that to happen. It's true. Which they are not in their peak. I still think they are way overdue to get broken up. However, this match, this time period, this was a good match. Would you say this was better than the Revival versus the Usos? I did really enjoy the Revival in their match. I'd say they're probably on even keel for me. I think they were two different tag teams. They matches. were, actually. The, the, the Especially re- when you have an extra team in there. Exactly. The Revival and the Usos was the wrestling match. This was the sports entertainment match. Thank you very much. But there's nothing wrong with that because there was a lot of athleticism and a lot of great wrestling displayed in that triple threat tag. No, it just means that the 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 sports entertainment match needs to be for the Raw tag team titles, and the wrestling match needs to be for the SmackDown tag. You're absolutely correct because Raw is the sports entertainment show. SmackDown is the wrestling show. Yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think that's going to be really coming to fruition come October. It's perfectly fine because Fox is the Fox. Is the Fox what? Fox is the sports channel. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways, that being said, this triple threat tag it was great. Was awesome. It was great. I loved it. We are eight matches through the show, and I have one match that I can complain about. Actually, two because one I didn't get to watch, and it was probably okay. Went and we had a title change. Right. But again, at this point, my worst match of the show still makes this a good pay per view. Now, let's talk about the one that right. I believe now, committed highway robbery. Now, this, now, we just came off the shock of Daniel Bryan and Rowan losing the SmackDown Tag Team titles. You would think, oh, they just did a shock title change. Well, this is going to be a great match, but we're not going to see anything too crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Ricochet defending his United States title against... AJ Styles with Anderson and Gallows at ringside. Before the match started, Anderson and Gallows attacked Ricochet for about four seconds. 
it's because, you know, that gave AJ Styles the edge with four seconds of attacking. Why didn't they just do it on the outside and beat him up for 30 seconds and throw him against stairs? Because the match hadn't started. That would have made more sense to me. Right. So that was kind of a weird way to start the match. But again, if that's my only complaint of the match, look, I've said this a million times. Uh, Ricochet is going to be a big part of the future of this company. AJ Styles is the best wrestler on the planet. Period. That's my opinion. It's shared by a lot of people, but I have to reiterate that on most of these shows because it's the truth. So, if I think a guy that's a big part of the future of this company, that's your boy Triple H endorsed, against the best wrestler on the planet, how can this match be bad? Oh, wait, it can't. It's not possible. Except unless you're Bleacher Report and you give it a B-. minus. Okay, again, with your just, let it go. Hey, man. Like, uh, I, hire, hire, hire people that actually know pro wrestling. Okay. Now. Sorry. This match was everything and more. It was given time. It was proper AJ getting heel heat. Even though we had a, you know, dueling chant, let's go AJ, ricochet, or whatever it was. Right, We had dueling chance. We kind of knew that was going to happen because AJ Styles, much like Kevin Owens, much like some of these other guys, even when they're heels, they're going to get cheered. Yeah. Because that's kind of how this works, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. Happened they have to Rollins. do something really, really bad to somebody they really love to get actual heat. Which, again, AJ's actually gotten some good heat in this feud. He's had his brothers beat him up. They've all beat up Ricochet. They've been building this feud up to Ricochet having to overcome the odds and do this. So I figured they were going to cut a promo in the back and AJ was going to be like, I got this. I don't need your help. They actually were going to two-sweet Charlie Caruso and then they then AJ Styles took her hand down and he's like, nope. Now, now, immediately after I say that, I will tell you, him leaving the club in the back, that's a babyface move. He's not a babyface in this feud. So it makes total sense for Anderson and Gallows to come out because he's a heel. You're not supposed to like that it's three-on-one advantage heels. I don't know, because that's proper psychology in a wrestling match. It's not that hard. That's why I love it. That's why these two men are great. So, uh, everything under the sun. I believe Ricochet did a shooting star press, and it looked like the easiest thing he has ever done, which is great. The man is so gifted. Like, we talk about Cesaro being gifted, but Ricochet is a truly, truly, truly gifted man. If you think the WWE does not have the most talented roster they have ever had, you are lying to yourself. (laughs) Okay? Now, again, they did all their cool spots. They had really good pacing. Okay? They had really good timing with each other. I think there was one spot where I think Ricochet... Or AJ messed up one move, but they just transitioned out of it immediately. It was great. Yeah. Right? It was. And by the way, mistakes happen. As long as you cover them up well, nobody gives you crap for it. So, that, especially when you're the best wrestler on the planet. So, AJ, if there's something he does not get enough credit for, he is really good at countering moves. And what I mean by that is not only just countering the move within a wrestling match, but it's almost like he's so cerebral that he's thinking 10 steps ahead and he goes, oh, yeah, so we have this planned spot out, but I'm going to make it look like it's just in the flow of the match. 
And look, I get it. For those of you that watch pro wrestling, you know it is scripted. Okay, It's not real. These are not people really beating each other up. Okay, I'm not saying the F word. I'm saying it's scripted. They still take all the bumps. They still do all the moves. They still... Everything's still real except for actually doing physical damage. Right. It, I mean, they're still taking a chair shot, guys. Of course they are. And, and again, they're taking all the bumps. They're taking all the moves. They're taking all that stuff. But when it looks like it's in the flow of a match and it doesn't look scripted, that's pro wrestling as an art. Oh, and by the way, the end of the match, I'm looking up and going, okay, they're going to set up Ricochet hitting his 630, right? Or six, uh, yeah, it's 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 the six thirty. Six thirty splash, yes. I'm thinking, okay, they're gonna find some cool way to set up the move. It doesn't happen. He hits a shooting star press. They go into a bunch of holds. There was a spot in the match where AJ's foot was under the rope, and Anderson was yelling at the ref, being like, "No, his foot's under the rope." Fabulous call. It was great. It 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 played into the whole storyline because AJ thought he won the title, and Ricochet's foot was under the ropes. Then they restarted it, and Ricochet beat him again. All-encompassing, all-everything. And then, Ricochet's at the top. Anderson gets involved. Skirts by Anderson. He's about to set up AJ. Gallows hits him in the back. And AJ's going up top, and I'm like, what on earth are they going to do? And then, he sets him up to do a Styles Clash in the corner off the middle rope. In reverse. Now, those of you that don't know, the Styles Clash, when he was in New Japan, was the most protected finisher in the company. Period. When he was in TNA, it was a pretty protected move. Um, even in WWE, it's he uses it as his second finisher. He's got the phenomenal forearm or the Styles Clash. He it, actually used the Styles Clash to win the WWE Championship from Dean Ambrose. Now, he has almost seriously hurt people doing this move when it's on the actual ring straight up doing the move normally. I mean, he almost killed James Ellsworth because James Ellsworth tucked his head in. So, this company, these two men, have enormous grapefruits for even attempting this. <laughs> the cojones are the size of your computer screen. Now, to both of these men credit, the move was hit. It was done safely. One, two, three. Your new United States champion, AJ Styles. Now, for those of you that are upset that Ricochet lost the title, here's what I will say. He lost to the best wrestler in the world who had two of his buddies at ringside. They did a move that they've never done on WWE programming in this fashion. And he still looked really good doing it. So, once again, for a match that went 16 and a half minutes on top of a card that had really good wrestling, this was an awesome match! Not that I'm surprised because these two are two of the best in the world. And they just put together a really good match on a B pay-per-view in Philadelphia. I'm sorry. I don't know why this was not SummerSlam. If this was SummerSlam, I might call this the best pay-per-view of the year. I still may call it the best pay-per-view of the year, and it was Extreme Rules. This match ruled. If you are a wrestling fan and you thought this match was not at least a B+, I don't know. 
know what to say to you. I mean, I know what to say, but I'm not allowed to say it because this is a rated PG-13 podcast, so I'm not going to go ahead and say it. Plus, if my wife were to listen back to this, she'd be like, Jorge, did you really just say that? And I'd be like, yes, my queen, and then I'd sleep on the couch. So that being said, <laughs> yo, this match was fire. Fire. That was Yeah. I, I don't. I know my vocabulary sucks this evening, and I sincerely <laughs> apologize about that. Um, that reverse Styles Clash off the second rope was just something to behold. Um, they did commit highway robbery because they did steal the gosh darn show away from everybody else that participated at this pay per view, and that's saying a lot because this pay per view, again, if we haven't said it enough, was wonderful. Actually, um, this match was absolutely incredible. For those that still think that Kenny Omega is the best wrestler in the world, it's your opinion, and that's fine. But I am here to tell you, along with Ross, that you are wrong in your opinion in that assessment. That assessment is completely unfactual. Kenny Omega is not the best wrestler in the world. The best wrestler in the world works for world, for world wrestling entertainment, and his name is AJ Styles. If you have a problem with that, I plead with you, I beg of you, to watch all of his work over the past three years with World Wrestling Entertainment, and then I beg of you to go to watch his work in New Japan Pro Wrestling from the past few years prior to that, and then I beg of you to go watch his early days in TNA, when people didn't know who he was, and he was still one of the best wrestlers on the planet this man will go down as one of the top 10 greatest professional wrestlers to have ever lived that man is AJ Styles he is what 42 41 and then he's keeping up with a guy like Ricochet who was 11 years is younger 11 years younger than he is get out of here get out of here AJ is 42 uh, Ricochet was born in 88. So he's 31. Uh, if or his birthday has already come, so he may be 30. Yeah. He, he's either 30 or 31. Get out of here. Like, I mean, AJ, AJ Styles is the best wrestler in the world. Ricochet is 30. Thank you. So, yes, a 42-year-old and a 30-year-old probably put together the best match on this show. And by the way, I have applauded basically every match on this show. This is true. This is true. And then, by the way, AJ Styles also had one of the best matches of the year with Seth Rollins at Money in the Bank. And then he also had a fantastic match with Daniel Bryan, even though the crowd wasn't invested in it, in Phoenix. And then he also had a pretty good match with Randy Orton at uh, WrestleMania. And not to mention, he was involved in what I think was one of the top five matches of the year in the Elimination Chamber match. Get out of here. AJ Styles is the best wrestler in the world. Let's talk about Kofi and Samoa Joe and how I didn't like it. All right. We're going to spend very little time on the next match that actually happened on this show. Kevin Owens hit a stunner on Dolph Ziggler and won in 17 seconds and cut a promo about how Shane on television is basically bad for business. And to quote him, he said to kiss his ass. And go to hell. Yes. So we're already starting back with TV 14. Again. Get in there. Like, can we, like, maybe bring it back slowly instead of just shoving it in our face? I'm just saying. I don't know. At, the, at this at this rate, just... Look. I, I'm not going to say it because that was going to sound really weird. <laughs> we could have had this match on Raw this week. 
Or on SmackDown. And if they were going to make it this match, they could have announced it and done this not this late in the card. That being said, it happened. Kevin Owens wins. It set up the promo. Fine. We move on. Apparently, the J-Man's worst match of the night. I can't believe. I can't believe you are saying your boy Kofi Kingston had the worst match on this show. Kofi some, Kingston defending his WWE championship against Samoa Joe. Now, this feud kind of haphazardly started, and Joe can cut a pretty good promo, right? I've said before, some people are good talkers. Some people can cut a good promo. He is definitely both. When Joe wants to be angry, Joe, I'm going to kill you, Joe, he cuts a good promo. Unfortunately, they have booked him to basically lose every feud he's ever in, ever. So, I was not that invested in this match. However, I will be fair and tell you that Samoa Joe and Kofi Kingston could have put together a good match. It was given 9 minutes and 45 seconds. Joe teased the Coquina Clutch. Kofi teased all of his moves. Joe hit his uh, backsplash senton. Did he actually put him in the Coquina and he got out of it? Yeah, he put him in the Coquina. Kofi ran to the ring post, got yes. his two feet up, and then that's when Joe just flat out dropped him head first, which was, kind of, was very cool. Yes. Um, and then I think the finish of the match was... Um, Samojo ran towards the ring ropes, and then Kofi was able to go ahead and kick, hit uh, Trouble in Paradise. Trouble in Paradise from out of nowhere. Which, Pen- by the way, that has been a very cool out of nowhere move as of late, because mm-hmm. Kofi literally can hit Trouble in Paradise from out of nowhere, and it actually looks very, very good when he does it. Um, but th- th- basically, the reason why it was the quote unquote worst match on the card again, there have been so many. There's been so much great wrestling on Extreme Rules 2019 that when I say that the match was the worst match on the card, it's saying a lot. That means that everything else was just really, really good, and this just wasn't as good as everything else. This is not saying that this match was bad, but to me, it was the worst match on the card for a couple of different reasons. One... I was never able to go ahead and get fully invested into it. Now, when we found out that it was going to be Samoa Joe versus Kofi Kingston a few weeks back, I was a little bit irritated because Samoa Joe literally came in and attacked Kofi Kingston the day after he had lost the U.S. title to Ricochet at Stomping Grounds. It made zero sense. It's like, I'm glad to be rid of the U.S. title. I'm going for another one instead, instead of getting my revenge against this guy who embarrassed me on national television in Ricochet. Right? Right. Um... I tried myself. I tried to get fully invested into this feud. I really couldn't, but they did their best. Whatever, that's fine. There was a lot of great psychology involved in this match. There was a point where Samoa Joe, quote unquote, crushed Kofi Kingston's fingers um, with the steel steps. That was very cool. Uh, by the way, for those who have ever said that Kofi can't sell, you're dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. Kofi can sell, and he sells very, very well. His body, ma- his body movements, um, the way he, he, it's, it's very, it, it's very interesting. It's, um, he does this Yelp sound, like it's real, and you're like, oh good god, like Kofi got his fingers crushed. No, that's just Kofi being really, really good at selling, and that's awesome. 
However, uh, we reported on last week's preview show that Kofi had been dealing with a couple of injuries. Now, they didn't necessarily mention what they were. However, that being said, Kofi looked a little bit slower tonight than he has over the past few months. So I'm wondering if maybe the health wasn't at a full 100% that kind of I noticed that Kofi wasn't performing at his full capacity which then kind of made this match not be as great as I thought it could have been. Because I did say that Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe has the ability to be a very, very good match on the show, and it was an okay match, but it wasn't a great or good match. So I'm wondering if that ha- could have had to do with it. So those are my reasons for me saying this match wasn't on par with everything else on the, sh- on the card. Honestly, I think he's running out of steam as the champion. That's my opinion. Maybe, but I think that the crowd is still fully invested in him as WWE champion. Well, now I, now we have to suffer through New Day with three belts. So I think what they need to do is they actually have to give him. We need to get an actual challenger that we think might actually dethrone Kofi Kingston. Like if you were to go ahead and make the match at SummerSlam, Kofi Kingston versus Roman Reigns, I don't know who in the hell would win that match. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea either. No. Why? Because Roman Reigns is going to get booed out of the building. Yes, because you're setting yourself up for what you've been trying to avoid all these years. So, Kofi retains. I I, I believe I tweeted Kofi wins. Yawn. Next. It's interesting that you tweeted that, yet you didn't actually think that it was the worst match. No, the I thought it was better because, again, I would have said in the match with the story, it should have been two-on-one the whole match. Instead, it was them tagging in the whole time and really not showcasing either of them. Instead of them working as a unit, it just showcased that Bailey overcame the odds. Which, if that's the story you want to tell, that's fine. But I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at this point when Samoa Joe talks a good game and then loses. So, the next time he faces Roman or Brock or any of these other guys that are way more credible than he is, how am I supposed to think he's going to beat them? Because he's not going to beat him. They've got a lot of work with Joe. They now, do. I will tell you confidently, this was probably the second worst match on the show in my book. But for all the reasons I said earlier, I can't say it's the worst. And again, if you're telling me this is the second worst match on the card, this is a good pay-per-view. It sure is. All right, main event time. Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch versus Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. And yes, I'm going to get this all out because they had to say it. A last chance winners take all mixed tag team extreme rules match for both the Universal and Raw Women's Championships. That is a mouthful. Sure is. Basically, the stipulations, of course, are spurning back from the fact that Baron Corbin's been feuding with Seth Rollins. Lacey Evans has been feuding with Becky Lynch. Lacey Evans was Baron Corbin's special guest referee. And then Becky got involved. And, well, then we had this because they said, well... We'll give you a title match if uh, if you say that this is your last title match. And then the stipulation was added that both titles are on the line in the match mm-hmm. and not just one. So the baby faces had everything to lose and the challengers had basically had everything to gain except for if they lost this match, they were not getting rematches while these two were champions. Right. So one thing I was worried about was going to happen in this match was that the women were going to attack the men, and the men were not going to attack the women. I have to say this because, not to cover myself, but I have to say this, okay? 
I am not condoning man on woman violence. Nor, but we definitely aren't condoning okay. women on men. I just don't want to see women on men violence. Also, I think it's a double standard for you to say, "Well, I'm fine with Becky Lynch hitting Baron Corbin with a with a kendo stick and Lacey Evans hitting Seth Rollins with a kendo stick." But if either one of those guys tends to hit a move on a women wrestler, a gasp. I should just throw my man card away and just hate everything about wrestling because a man hit a woman. Even though we're in an age where we have intergender wrestling coming back. Which again, I have my feelings about that. When it's done well, it's fine. So I was afraid that we were going to see the women attack the men and the men get no offense on the women. Which by the way, this match is... An extreme rules match where the women wrestle the women and the men wrestle the men. That was what they stipulated when a tag was made. That gender competitor got in with whoever made the tag. So if Baron made the tag to Lacey, Becky came in. Vice versa. So there were weapon shots. There was pretty good wrestling between Baron and Seth, right? There was okay wrestling between Lacey and Becky. Lacey looked a lot better in this match than she did at Stomping Grounds. Now, I will tell you that uh, they did zoom in on Lacey's gear. It did have Seth written on her posterior. That was pretty hilarious. Spot that opened the match. She bent over to do something to show that, and Becky attacked her. It was great. They, again, the whole the whole dichotomy of this whole feud, it's fine. It's great, right? right? Mm-hmm. So there were weapon shots, there were moves, there was mayhem, there was craziness, right? And then we get to a point where it's time for the spots I was dreading to start happening. So, Becky Lynch kicked a chair right into Baron's face Hmm. while Seth was holding it. Yeah. It's like, okay, here we go. The women are going to fight the men, but the men can't do anything back to them. And then we saw Lacey and Baron both whipping Seth with a kendo stick. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm waiting for this. Now, after those two spots happened, I believe there was double team moves on the outside. It wasn't just Becky attacking Corbin, and Seth never attacked Lacey straight up. Right. They did the uh, double suplex onto the steel ramp, um, and then they did the the table spots, which was... Becky putting Lacey through a table um, from the top rope with a leg drop. Yes. And then right after that, Seth hit the frog splash from the very, very top of the rope. He actually had to go ahead and get some elevation. Because he um, had to jump over the table in which Becky put through put, put Lacey, Lacey through. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he nailed it because he's Seth Rollins and he, he does everything great like that. So anyways, they get them back in the ring. So yes, Lacey's back in... Or- Lacey's out. Lacey's out. They bring back um, Corbin into the ring. Yes. So they're both they're both gonna take this guy apart, mm-hmm. right? And Becky elbows Baron in the head. Yeah. I'm like, great. So Baron's in a two on one disadvantage. Advantage baby faces, by the way. This is not the heels. This is the baby faces two on one advantage. Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, they're gonna set up a spot. Becky's gonna hit him with something. Seth's going to hit his finisher. We're going to go home. And then. Mark out moment of the night. Becky Lynch took an end of days from Baron Corbin and was dead for the rest of the match. 
She rolled to the outside and sold it like she had just been killed by Baron Corbin. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing just the way you said it. The same way that I said that. Because she sold it. Because she sold it as a man hitting his finisher on a woman. Which is exactly the same way that it should have been sold. Honestly, I'm not, and that's not saying, oh, it's a man and stuff like that. No, this isn't just a man. Baron Corbin is six foot nine. 295 pounds. Becky Lynch is 5'8", 130. Last I checked, if I body slam somebody that's much smaller than you, that's that's half my size, and I use my full strength to do it, it's like getting hit by a She's going to be hurting. Yeah. Okay? But I had to preface that I don't endorse man-on-woman violence, and yet they told you, Woman-on-man violence was okay, and there was one spot where he did a safe wrestling finisher to her. Not a weapon, not something that, oh, I hit you a little bit too hard. No, a safe wrestling move that was sold well. Kudos to Becky Lynch, by the way. And then Seth Rollins lost his mind. He, he He pulled his inner John Moxley out. He did. He went... Insane because his woman had just been attacked by a man. And he just whooped on him with a kendo stick. He didn't hit him with one curb stomp. Not two. Not two. Three curb stomps. He And then pinned him. And then pinned him. I think mean, you thought that Becky Lynch died after end of days. Seth Rollins also committed murder because he killed Baron Corbin with three consecutive curb stomps. And pinned him. And pinned him. One, so two, three. your winners and still champions, Seth Rollins and Becky. Oh, and by the way, uh, sorry, Rollins and Lynch retained. Yeah. Lacey Evans just backed away when Seth Rollins went bananas against. Would you have? I would have. All I, I know. Now. All I know is that she could have rolled Becky in the ring and pinned her. But she couldn't because Seth was already in the ring with a. But what I'm sick. saying is that, again. Logically, yeah. Seth is so focused on Baron that Lacey could have gone to ringside, gone to the opposite end of the ring, gotten the ref's attention, Becky Lynch is out, covered her for a one, two, three, and they could have won the match. Now, I get it. She's scared because Seth lost his mind. Fine. She's a cowardly heel. Fine. It worked. I'm just saying, logically, as a competitor, she probably could have tried to get away with it. Probably. Just saying. No more than 10 seconds after the match ended, Brock Lesnar's music hits. Paul Heyman had come out and cut a promo earlier in the night saying, I guarantee Brock Lesnar's going to cash in tonight. Which, by the way, he's done this not once, not twice, not three times, but four times before because they're setting up for when they actually do it. My idea was to have him cash in at the first ever SmackDown, whoever the champion was, whether it's Kofi, whether it's some other baby face, because I want to keep Brock heel. That would have been my idea. So his music hits. Seth's kind of like, okay, is he going to come out? Everybody's like, is he going to come out? And then Brock Lesnar came out with Paul Heyman, the briefcase, and a referee. J-Man and I are looking at each other going, he's going to cash in tonight because Seth Rollins just wrestled a match. Paul Heyman's going to hand it over to the ref. Not just in a match, an extreme rules match of all matches. So, Paul Heyman hands the briefcase to the ref. Brock Lesnar gets in the ring, gives him 
two suplexes, bell rings, picks him up, yells, big F5, one, two, three, your winner and new universal champion, Brock Lesnar. And, as I prefaced before, I will actually defend this position. And for those of you that have been listening to this podcast, I am not a Brock Lesnar fan. I love Paul Heyman. I don't need Brock Lesnar to be on the title ever again. In fact, I don't care if he ever wrestles in WWE ever again. He could go to the mountains and hang out with Sable, enjoy all of his money, and live comfortably, and I never have to see him again. However, as I said at Money in the Bank, when I was thoroughly upset that he won the Money in the Bank match by being in it for 10 seconds, when he wasn't even in the match, he just showed up and decided he was in the match, and they won, or he won, right? He has the briefcase. When he cashes in, he is going to win. He is not going to lose when he cashes in. So, and with all the history with Seth Rollins and all the history with the Universal title and the fact that Paul Heyman's on Raw and the fact that the alternate options of he goes to SmackDown and beats Kofi Kingston for the title, this actually, at some level, makes some sense. The briefcase gimmick is gone. He's he's already going to be the champion anyway, so you give him the belt. He doesn't have to be champion for a year. Whoever you're going to have beat him, whether it's Seth Rollins, whether it's some other guy that you're going to build up, whoever it is, as long as it's not Roman, please keep Roman and Brock away from each other because no one's going to buy into it, even though they've only wrestled, what is it, four times or whatever it is. Like, I'm fine with them wrestling. I just know the WWE Universe wants nothing to do with it. So just keep them apart. So this is legitimately the best case scenario. Briefcase is gone. He's the champ. We got it over with. Seth has the excuse of he was just in a grueling match where he lost his emotions because his girlfriend had just been beaten up. He just went through an Extreme Rules match. He's going to want his revenge. Paul Heyman gets to cut a great promo on Raw. Brock gets to be the champion, and we move on. Now, again, through my entire diatribe, I said, not a fan of Brock Lesnar as the champion. They told you they were going to put the belt on him when he won the Money in the Bank briefcase that the J-Man will defend as a great match that I will say was a great steak dinner that my dessert was a pile of turds. So because that's the aftertaste I got, might as well take my medicine from feeling sick, even though the medicine tastes awful, might as well take it now and get it over with. So the main event was good. In fact, if you want to call it great, that's fine. It had everything you needed in it. It's the end of that feud. Rollins moves on to possibly getting a rematch with Brock. Lacey goes and does something else. Becky's probably off TV for probably a week, or at least I would hope she is because she should sell it, or maybe she'll be back and not really, you know, cut her well, normal I mean, she promo. Should, she shouldn't uh, just sell the end of days. I mean, she was in an extreme rules match. Yes. And she's, her and Rollins and Corbin and Evans are all beat up. Yes. So, Rollins and Lynch retain, and yet Brock cashes in, 
at Extreme Rules in Philadelphia, not at SummerSlam, not at the first SmackDown. It's over. He's the the champ. We should say the first SmackDown on Fox. Yeah. Because there's been... 1,000 episodes worth Well, of when I say for SmackDown, I, I get the impression people are- Maybe somebody are... who doesn't watch WWE okay. that- The first episode on Fox in okay. October. Better? I got, I got your back, bro. Okay. Just, you know. Everything said. The main event was great. This is the aftermath. I understand that people hated this finish. If you thought Brock Lesnar was going to cash in and fail- I don't know what your thought process is. No, no, no. I I, I just wanted maybe something different, but I'm not going to say I hate this finish because... But they told you it wasn't yeah, going to be oh, different yeah. when he won the Money in the Bank match after having seven guys go 45 or whatever it was, 30 minutes or whatever it was. 19. Whatever. It, it doesn't matter. It was a waste of time. No, I agree. I, I got I agree. to see all those guys kill themselves for 20 minutes mm-hmm. for that to happen. So they told you nothing was going to be different. Yeah, I know. I know. So with that being said, I thought it was it was a great way to bring heat to the end of the program. In no way, shape, or form does it take away from the fact that Extreme Rules was absolutely fantastic, and uh, it makes me want to try and figure out who in God's name are they going to now place in there to try and defeat Brock Lesnar next? Unless maybe Seth Rollins gets the title back. I highly doubt it, though. But I don't know. I don't know. It'll be very, very interesting. Just all I ask, and I know this isn't going to happen, so I'll try and play around with how WWE can do it. I need a little bit more title defenses. I'm not asking every every month because I know that's just not going to happen because Brock Lesnar Brock Lesnar doesn't work that way. But I don't want none of this. I'm going to defend it at SummerSlam, and then finally defend it back again at the Royal Rumble. And then wait all the way till WrestleMania. No. BS. Get out of here. Give me at least like five title defenses from here on out. And of course, I don't know. Maybe he loses it at SummerSlam directly to Rollins. Or maybe you put in another different challenger. But I just need more title defenses. I need to make sure that the Universal Championship is on television more often than it was when when he was champion the two prior reigns. That's all, because at the end of the day, the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship are the most prestigious prizes in this entire company. This is what people fight over. Okay, so just to give you a rundown, right? If you're saying five title defenses, right? Mm-hmm. If we're saying five, yeah, right? SummerSlam. And by the way, this is this is us to, like thinking that he'll hold it till WrestleMania, by the way. SummerSlam, Saudi Arabia show, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. Would you be okay with that? Uh, because that's, of because of Brock Lesnar, sure. That's five title defenses. That's that's fine. That's it's, better, it's more than it's better than three. That's 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 four of your big pay per views. Yep. And the Saudi Arabia show, that's which fine. which is a payday for everybody that goes anyway. That's correct. It's okay. a glorified house show. As you so that would be it. five title defenses. That's fine. For Brock now, Lesnar, that's a lot. Now. I would imagine it's going to be Seth and Brock at SummerSlam, yep. which I imagine he will win and retain. He will probably face somebody big-named in Saudi Arabia. Normally, I would tell you that's where he would wrestle someone like John Cena, 
but I don't think John Cena is going to Saudi Arabia. So they have time to figure that out. That it could be he's anybody. Also, he's also filming Fast Nine, but yeah, he's I'm not just saying a name like that. Okay, I'm not suggesting they do Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar in Saudi Arabia, but it's probably going to be a name, right? You have time to build up for Survivor Series, you have time to build up for Royal Rumble, and you have time to build up for WrestleMania. So, again, I hate this. I do. A lot of you hate this. I sympathize. But at least we got it over with. Now the plan, which I've said for every champion that I've not been a fan of or that I've been a fan of, when you put the belt on someone, your next plan is who they losing to. Because, yeah, they can beat everybody in the business. They're going to lose it eventually. So you just have to have a plan. And with Brock Lesnar, normally there's at least a semblance of a plan. It may not be a good one. It may not be one that we're all suffice with. But it's a plan. So swallow it down, and we move on. That being said, the J-Man and I both picked eight matches correct. So my lead maintains at 66 to 65 because we picked the exact same show this year for Extreme Rules. The next show is on Thursday. Oh, and by the way, I will just cap this off. This was an excellent pay-per-view. Please go rewatch it. Yep. And here's to hoping that Monday Night Raw and SmackDown can go ahead and uh, uh, use this as a um, um, a jump off to good shows. If I'm not mistaken, I think Eric Bischoff is supposed to go ahead and take over backstage on Tuesday officially. And then I believe that uh, Heyman's already running the shows on Raw. Yes. So, next show will be Thursday... That is going to do it for this edition of the Double Turn Podcast, the 2019 Extreme Rules Review Show. Next show will be on Thursday. It will be a regular show in which we do three count, news, match segment show of the week, all the fun stuff that you love on this show. Mm -hmm. Next pay-per-view is NXT TakeOver Toronto. Oh, yeah which will be at the Scotiabank Arena, which will be at the same place where SummerSlam is. So that is August 10th and 11th. So we've got a couple weeks here where we'll be having regular shows. We might have a couple of SummerSlam-themed top fives coming up. Get Perhaps we'll actually have better communication this time instead of it being, you know, a three-part show instead of a 40-minute show. Just saying. It's no, it's, no, it's no shade being thrown your way. I just don't want that miscommunication this time. That's all. NXT TakeOver Toronto and SummerSlam. Those are the next shows coming up as I'm getting a glaring look from my co-host. He knows I have in good intentions. It's just the way it is. This is also the the look of a man who has been up since about, what What did I say? 2.35? 2? 2.35 in the morning? As my voice cracks. 2? Yeah, actually, about 2.15 because Belle woke me up because she was barking. She wanted the dog. to go outside. Yeah. The dog, of course. The, uh, the, uh, the sun woke me up at 7 a.m. I hate summers here, so what can I say? Uh, you know, Phoenix... Arizona. It's, it's true. It's getting it's 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 way too hot. It's so hot, but you know what? We're not getting uh, by the way, real quick, uh to the people that are out in Louisiana and and that stay safe out there with those hurricanes that are coming through. Is it Louisiana or where is it? The Carolinas? Louisiana. Louisiana. So shout out to those people. Make sure you guys stay safe out there. I don't know if we have any listeners in Louisiana, but God bless. We're here for you guys. And uh, at least we're not getting some crazy earthquakes like the ones in L.A., which, again, shout out to the people in L.A. Hopefully you guys are staying safe out there, too.
One and only J-Man19 is where you can find Jorge on Instagram. Ross the Real Boss 85 is where you can find me. The Double Turn Podcast is where we have lots of fun videos and reactions from through this show. I think we're going to make that a normal staple of doing Instagram. Of course, I did Twitter. Boss Ross TDT. Mm-hmm. You can check out my reactions from the show. Yeah, I think we've done videos every pay-per-view that we've had the Instagram page. And that is also where uh, I also post the show. I, I post it on Instagram, Facebook, Ross Williamson, and on Twitter, again, with my Twitter handle. I post the shows there. That show will be, or this show, will be posted uh, tomorrow as we post uh, Mondays on pay-per-view weeks and then Fridays on regular shows so follow the the, use the hashtag dtp fridays dtp mondays there it is so great pay-per-view please go watch it if you uh were kind of on the fence for it please do uh this was another surprise show uh for the j-man this has been boss ross and this has been the double turn podcast we will catch you on the flip side this show is fired